Scripture tells us that God has highly exalted him. That's what makes a difference. God highly exalted him, and it says it gave him a name above every name. This isn't just any name because it's not associated with just any person. This would be one that would help you to commit to memory. It'll change your life. God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee bow, in heaven, earth, and under the earth. And every tongue proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why we do this. Out in the hallway, big sign. We turn the lights on overnight so people that drive by can see it. And in big blue letters on a white wall, it says, Jesus is the way. This isn't just any name. It's not just anybody we're celebrating today. We are celebrating the one who has the name above every other name designated by God Almighty so that one day everyone, heaven, earth, and under the earth, will say, Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I welcome you here today, Resurrection Sunday, uh, some people call it Easter. I call it Rescue and Redemption Weekend is what I call it. Rescue and Redemption Weekend because that's what brings us together to celebrate this whole process. Last Sunday we talked on Palm Sunday. We talked about the lamb that was chosen on the 10th of the month Nisan, which became the first month. It became the first month because of the lamb being chosen, because the timeline was different. Everything changed because the lamb was chosen that month. It became the first month. And on the 10th day of the first month, which was like Palm Sunday, the lamb was chosen. Jesus came into the city. They're like, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's the lamb. That's the one. He's the guy. And for four days in the Exodus story, with Moses and Egypt and that whole thing, for four days the lamb would be in the house. And on the 15th day of the first month, the lamb was slain. That was our Friday. Good Friday for us. Good Friday. The lamb chosen and slain so that we could be covered. As in the Exodus story, they took the blood and they put it on the doorpost and the lintel. Occasionally, we've done that through the years. We'll take some paint and we'll just put it over, tell the story. We'll, we'll literally, if you walked up to our house, you'd see dripped watercolor paint on our doorway. Covering. And it kept them from the destroyer. And they were liberated from exile. That's what happened for Jesus as well. Through Jesus for us. Had a wonderful privilege this week, Melinda and Chip and I, had a wonderful privilege to do a Passover meal. To eat the Seder Passover meal with Dana and Ron and Tina and then their New York family. And so we were sitting there together talking about all the different things and going through the Passover meal and Dana had shared a story with me that I asked her to tell my family. 
Dana's Jewish. And when she was little, she thinks maybe, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, she came across other students who were celebrating this thing called Lent. And she's like, Dad, what is Lent? And her father, seriously Jewish, serious about it, said, well, Lent is this thing, and he explained, and they give up something. And then he tells this story, and basically the punchline of the story is this. The Christians are just copying us. Like, we have a Lent, or they have a Lent. We, we have no leaven for a week. No, no yeast in our food for a week. So, so we give up that, they give up this. We have Hanukkah. They have Christmas. We have Passover. They have Easter. E even to the point during the Seder meal, you'll take the afakoman, which is a broken piece of matzah, and you will hide it. We do that. They hide Easter eggs. Like, it's just a big copy thing. They're just copy, copy, copy. And I have been thinking about that for the last couple of days. It's not a copy. It's an exact representation. It is the fulfillment. The lamb slain is the fulfillment of what we first saw in Exodus with Moses. Because it was a deliverance from exile. It was a salvation. It was a bringing out of Egypt. I can testify that I have been brought out of Egypt. Just as real. And delivered from slavery just as real as any Israelite. You see, Easter isn't the end of the story. Easter isn't the end of the story. Like, nice job, Jesus, well done through the week, good job hanging in there on Friday, and you're resurrected, sweet. Everybody high fives, and we go on. It's not the end of the story. In fact, Easter, Easter is the opening act. Easter is the opening act of what's going on. Because God's plan for every one of us in here, every one of us, God's plan is not to make new people, not to make new things. The promise, the promise isn't that I'm going to make new things. The promise is that I'm going to make all things new. One time God came to Moses and he was a little ticked off. I relate it to being the parent of a teenager. He was a little aggravated and he looked at Moses and he said, here's the deal, man. These people, I am done you know God said that? I am done with them. Here's what I think we should do. Wipe the slate clean, and we'll start a whole new group of people through you. And Moses looks at him and says, that is not a good idea. That was the conversation. He's like, that's not a good idea. People are going to say that you brought us out here, and because we failed, you cut us off? That's not the message. God's like, that's right. Not the message. I'm not going to wipe everybody that failed, just wipe them out because they failed. No. I'm not trying to make new things. You're a broken thing. 
So we won't use you because you're a broken thing. I'm going to wipe you out. Start with something new. Yeah, that's not the promise. Whatever's going on in the Exodus story, whatever. There's all kinds of Old Testament stuff that's weird and bizarre to me. But what's going on in the New Testament narrative is this. I am not going to make new things. I'm going to make all things new. That is the story of redemption. This weekend is a message about rescue and redemption. I invite you to look at Mark 16. It'll be up on the screens. I'm reading it out of the message The heading says, The Resurrection. I think it's great that we can hear this story together. I'm just going to read you the Easter story according to Mark. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they could embalm him. And very early on Sunday morning as the sun rose, they went to the tomb and they worried out loud to each other, who will roll back the stone from the tomb for us? Then they looked up, saw that it had been rolled back. It was a huge stone, and they walked right in. They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed all in white. And they were completely taken aback, and they were astonished. He says, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, the one they nailed on the cross. He's been raised up. He's here no longer. You can see for yourselves that this place is empty. Now, everyone say now. Now, guess what we're doing right now? We're saying now right now is what we're doing because it is a now moment. He says, now on your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going on ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there exactly as he said. That's the resurrection story. But there is redemption in that story. And if you know the biblical narrative, here's what I'm going to bring out for you. The man in white had been told what to say. They had some meeting somewhere and downloaded for him what to deliver today. And he told them. He said, hey, he's not here. I know you were expecting him. He's not here, risen. But that could have been enough. That's probably all I would have said. Everyone's like, okay, yay. What do we do? What's the next word? Now. What do we do now? He tells them. He goes, now, y'all go back. He was a southern angel. Y'all go back. He said, go back and tell the disciples and Peter. You see, this isn't just a rescue weekend. This is a redemption weekend. This isn't just about rescue. It's about redemption. It's about this third banner. It's about living in my purpose when I've screwed up what I think is my purpose. That is the redemption. It's not good job, good job, good job, good job. It's not the straight A student that's always been the straight A student. It's the person that got in their own way. They were self-destructive, self-destructive sabotaged themselves. That's Peter. Peter is a train wreck. Peter is the guy that, talking with Jesus, 
I'll never deny you, Lord. And Jesus just happens to glance over and say, well, actually, you will deny me. Okay, that's bad enough. You'll deny me three times. Okay, we've taken that to a new level. And it's going to happen before tomorrow morning. What kind of, what kind of, what? Listen. Although I apparently have authority. (laughs) Super Christian, I'm not. But I'll tell you what. If Jesus looked at me and said, now, Andy, before tomorrow morning, you're going to say peanut butter three times. I'm pretty sure I can handle that. I'm pretty sure I can look at him and say, well, you know, actually, I'm, I'm okay, whatever. Not just a failure, but three times a failure, and not over the next 13 years, like sometime in your future life, but before tomorrow morning. That is bad upon bad upon bad, fail upon fail upon fail. What is it? Can I ask you this? What is the egregious sin, the egregious failure that you have committed that keeps you from connection with Jesus, that keeps you from your purpose? What is the egregious failure? That, fa- that unspeakable thing that brings such shame and guilt and weight. What is it? Because I have a story to tell you. Peter failed upon failure upon failure. When Judas was with them at the table, they dipped the bread in the cup. Well, that was a bunch of guys doing that. That could have been any one of us. How about this? Someone in this section... Before tomorrow morning, is go- he, it's a failure thing, buddy. You don't want to do it. He's so depressed. He's so bummed. Someone in this section is going to fail. That was the random thing spoken to Judas. Peter was like a one-on-one. It's like this. Peter wasn't unclear, wasn't random, No speculation, looked him right in the grill and said, hey, man, it's you. You're going to do this. It's going to be three times, and it's going to happen before tomorrow morning. What kind of guilt and shame can we amass for something like that? And you know what I know right now? There are people in this room that know exactly the level of guilt and shame that can be amassed over our failure. We know exactly what that feels like. So it wasn't just a salvation weekend. It wasn't just a rescue. It was a redemption. When the women come to the tomb, he says, hey, Jesus isn't here. I know that's what you're looking for. And can I tell you something? You're looking for him. He's looking for you. He's looking for you. And this is where you're going to meet him. Hey, Tell the disciples, and, everybody want to say it, and Peter. Peter. What a beautiful story of redemption. You see, Judas failed and Peter failed. Do you know the difference? Do you know the difference in how the story ends? 
Peter hung around long enough to get forgiven. Judas took it into his own hands, literally. Took his own life. Peter hung around long enough. And from the life of Peter, we get the first book of the Bible. Some would say, well, the first book of the, first book of the New Testament is Matthew. Yeah, yeah, the first, first gospel is not Matthew. The first gospel is Mark. Matthew and Luke were written later. Mark's gospel was written first. What's that got to do with Peter? Mark was the scribe. Peter was the storyteller. Theologians recognize that Mark wrote the book. His name is on the book of Mark. But Peter's the one that dictated. Peter is the one that told him the stories. Without a Peter, there is no book of Mark. Without a Barnabas, there is no book of Mark. Because Mark was working with Paul, and Paul said, you are no prophet to me because you failed me. And Barnabas goes with his nephew Mark, and we don't know the rest of the story, but we know the outcome. The one that was kicked away for failure, because someone came alongside a Barnabas, he was brought back and wrote the book dictated by Peter. Do you know how many of the four Gospels have this story in it? Not the resurrection, but the story of go call Peter. Any guesses? Peter's telling his story. Peter is dictating that story to Mark as he writes that Gospel. It is a story of redemption. It is a story of when you failed, and I get it. If you're not familiar with the scripture, you might be saying, okay, he called Peter, so what? Well, Passover was the holiday. And then what we celebrate, Resurrection Sunday, Easter, was a few days later. But 50 days from Passover is a holiday called Pentecost. The outpouring of the Spirit, some would say the birth of the New Testament church happened at Pentecost. When Jesus took his last breath, a new covenant began. Old covenant ended, new covenant began at his last breath. You see, the New Testament, the new covenant, last will and testament, the New Testament, the new covenant, doesn't happen in Matthew 1. It happens at the end of the book. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are really old covenant stories. Because new covenant doesn't happen until he dies. And with the death of the testator comes the New Testament. And the veil is torn asunder. And we are all given access. Everybody is given access. We all are. And so from Passover when Jesus dies, 50 days later is Pentecost. The birth of the church. The outpouring of the spirit and the, the tongues and the wind and the fire and all the languages and all the testimonials of God's grace and goodness. All of that stuff going on. Who, who, who gave that message that day? Who, who stepped up? Because there were a dozen guys there. It says that one of them with the 11, so all the guys, all the players were there. But someone stepped up. Peter, standing with the 11, said, these men are not drunk as you suppose. 
But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. How long does it take to be redeemed? How long does it take to let the Lord turn your life around? We've got a six-month Bible study for you. A couple years. How much penance do you need to do? Let me ask you this. How much penance have you already done? Can I cut you loose? <laughs> can, I give you, can I give you a freebie now for time served? Anybody? You, you've been beating yourself up for years. Can, can I give you credit for time served and you let yourself be forgiven today? And not just forgiven, not just you're sorry behind forgiven, but redeemed. How many days from Passover to Pentecost? Seven weeks? You're telling me seven weeks later, after Peter absolutely and profoundly, repeatedly denies knowing Jesus, that he is in a redeemed position to stand up and deliver the goods. Seven weeks. That's not even two months. Do you see the redemption and the love of Jesus to gather us? I want us to look at John 14, you can throw it up there. I was in Hobby Lobby uh, yesterday, and I was walking through one of the aisles with all the signs and, you know, Moose and Batman and all the things. You walk through them all, right? Camping and everything, right? And I walked past this sign, and it said, Goat. I didn't see a picture of a goat. It just said goat. When I was younger, the greatest ball players weren't called goats. Somehow that's come around, but goat means greatest of all time. And I began to think about that. I passed that yesterday and I saw a goat. I thought, greatest of all time. I immediately think, Jesus. But Jesus would say, no, it's not me. I'm not the greatest of all time. I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater than these things. That's Jesus. He's the one saying it. Now, I would say, Jesus, you're the greatest of all time. And he would say, yeah, not, no, I'm not the greatest of all time. The idea is that I join with you and redeem you and you do greater things. You do greater things. I do greater things. Not exclusive of Jesus, but partnered with the risen Christ. The ability to sing a song that says, I speak Jesus, Jesus on the mountain, Jesus in the streets, Jesus over my family, all that business, is because he won the victory on the cross. The lamb slain, all dominion. Remember that thing we started with? God has exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee bow, tongue confess, heaven, earth, under the earth, all of it. Remember that? 
He has all dominion. If we allow him to redeem us, if we recognize that Easter is not the end of the story, You've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then what's the next book? The book of Acts. It's actually the Acts of the Apostles. The rabbi that I follow once said, the book of Acts shows you how people behave when they believe that Jesus has been given all power in heaven and earth. That's how we behave. When we understand that it's an empty cross and it's an empty tomb. And yes, we were saved through his blood, but we're also redeemed through his resurrection. And there's nothing we've ever done that causes him to love us less or disqualifies us from being used in his kingdom to do even greater things than these. So, today, we have name tags. I was wearing mine and just, it peels a little bit. I just took it off a moment ago. Could I change the name tags? Because all of us find ourselves in this moment. Will it say Peter? Or will it say Judas? And that really depends on whether you come to him or you head out the door. Both men failed. The one that failed worse, it didn't matter because he hung around. Just as Judas got up and left, just got up and left, went out, isolated, did his own thing, took his own life, that whole thing. Didn't hang around, didn't stay close enough for Jesus to actually forgive him, to receive the forgiveness, to let it be operative in his life. He chose to walk. Peter went away as well, didn't he? You know the story? Peter said, this isn't working out the way I thought. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go back to the thing that I used to do before I even met Jesus. But here's the difference. Just like Jesus is calling to us today, he called to Peter. Peter came to him. I think of the story in the book of John. A woman was caught in the very act of adultery and brought to Jesus. Men came, knowing that what she had done was wrong. They had rocks in their hands. They were ready. Those guns were loaded. There wasn't no concealed carry going on there. They had them out. And they say, Master, Rabbi. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery, and the law tells us, this owner, what do you say? What did Jesus say? He wrote a few things. He said, anyone that is without sin can cast a stone. And at that, every one of the men left. But you know what the Bible adds in that, which is so incredible? 
from the oldest to the youngest. I'm going to be 55 in a couple weeks. I understand grace a whole lot more today than I did when I converted 23 years old. You hear me? I understand grace a whole lot more today. Not because I've read more about it, but because I've lived it. Because I have been one that knows and still fails. I have been one that I look and the football is on the ground. I have dropped the ball. And I can come back and kneel. I think of those men that acknowledge the sin in their life, but they went the other direction. I would like to think that if I was one of those men, I would have come up and said, excuse me, sis, and knelt right next to her. Everybody else can go away because when you go away, you're going to go away the same way you came. You're going to go away carrying your sin, carrying the weight, carrying the guilt. You're going to go away carrying all that stuff. Oh, I hope I would have been the guy that said, excuse me, he called me out and I'm going to come to him for redemption. Because I'm going to tell you how this works. That woman never confessed her sin, didn't do any repenting except turning to him. Everyone left. He looks at her and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, there is no man, Lord. And then he says, well, neither do I condemn you, sis. Go and sin no more. She was forgiven. Not because she confessed everything that she'd ever done wrong, but because she stayed in his presence. You know what's cool about this? I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for being here today. You've made this a beautiful worship experience for all of us. Thank you for being here. You do not have to be here to be in his presence. Anybody else thankful about that? You do not have to be in this room or any church room to be in his presence. You see, I do greater things, not because I do them exclusive of him, but I do greater things because I go with him. He goes with me. We walk together. Lord Jesus, I pray that our hearts will be open to you. That your grace and your kindness and your goodness would fill us, help us. Help us, Lord God, to see your dominion. To see that you actually have the power to forgive. You have the power to heal. You have the power to restore. You have the power to redeem. It's not just rescue. It's rescue and restoration and redemption.
Can you throw that verse up, Kelly? Verse 1. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and I spoke your name into denial. This is the saving part. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Sing the chorus. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has